Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we pray that it blesses you. For any information on this sermon or our other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. You can take a seat, um, find your way back. You know, on that, if you... um, You're good, Debbie. Thank you. Um... On that, if you've got any any testimonies at all, anything God's been doing in your life, um, we would love to be hearing about it. Um, you know, us as a staff team, we'd love to be celebrating what God's doing because we know that God's doing um, incredible things in, in the life of this church. We know that His power's moving, that healings are taking place, financial breakthroughs are happening, and so we, and we want to be able to celebrate with you with your one. Um, nothing is too small or too insignificant. Um, let your life group leader know or your pastors know, or just let somebody in your world know what God's doing. Awesome. So um, last week, Pastor Glenn opened up our series on on discipleship, and um, essentially discipleship being to follow closer the the, the 12 disciples being the 12 12 guys that follow Jesus closely. And um, and I, I think there's, you know, it's very easy to see when you look at it that way, the correlation between discipleship and, and how closely we're following Jesus, how, how, how closely we are um, like walking behind him. Um, David writes in the Psalms, your word, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so, so he guides us, he lights the way, he, um, you know, he, he gets, uh, you know, he, he shows us where we're going. Um, but the, you know, the closer you are to the light, the easier it is to see, um, and then and then there's this sense as as a disciple that you are literally walking with God. You know, Glenn shared last week how uh, Bear Grylls talked on uh, talked about while he was on top of Mount Everest, saying, "Well, how incredible it is." to climb mountains with the one who, who created them. And so as a disciple, you, you, you've got God walking alongside you. Not just, you're not just following him, but he's actually alongside you. Um, and, and, then, and then Pastor Glenn talked about how um, as a stone travels down a river, it, it goes from being the sharp stone with ugly edges that might cut somebody if they get too close into the smooth stone that, that when used in a hand, the hands of God could actually take down a giant. And so you, you see this process of discipleship is actually all about like getting you ready for what God's plan is for your life. It's, it's, it's not like we're not doing the series to like get better, like to have a better church or anything. We're doing the series. These, these five weeks are all about you. These five weeks are all about like you being equipped, you being trained, you being ready for, for what God has got called for your life. Not, not, not because we want, we, like, we want this to be better, but because we want specifically your life to be better. We want you to go into your destiny. And so I would really encourage you to come along to these these four weeks, the next four weeks as we're, uh, as we're looking at this. And here's the thing is if you can't make a Sunday morning, we're doing the exact same thing Sunday night with a f- uh, fresh preacher um, who's got a fresh word. And so me and Jared have got a preach off today. Um, so you should come along to the 6 p.m. tonight because he's he keeps saying that he's got a better word. And I've read I've read his notes. I've read his notes, and they're good. He's got more um, he's got more points than me. I've got two, and he's got four. So, like 
like, if you enjoy this morning, Jared's message is better, so you should come along tonight. So, in the life of David, we see this, this beautiful pattern of, of discipleship as, as David goes from being a servant to a son and a brother through to being a warrior and eventually becoming a king. And, and there's this, this incredible pattern. And so over the next four weeks, Glenn pretty much summed it up last week and, and wrapped everything up together. So these four weeks, we're just going to be looking at these uh, stages and just like really getting into the nitty gritty of what it looks like to be at that stage. And I just think it's so incredible that somebody's life 3,000 years ago is actually applicable to ours now. Um, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to kick off. We've got a good chunk of scripture that we're going to read this morning. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to start 1 Samuel 16.10. I'm going to give you a quick moment so I can drink some water. And we're reading through to 23. All right, starting in verse 10, here we go. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here and search for someone who can play the lyre. I don't know what that instrument is, but it's probably not as good as a guitar. Um, he will play when the evil spirit from God comes and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Now, one of the servants, one of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son to sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come from Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Father, I, I thank you for, for your goodness and for your words here this morning. God, I, I, I pray that as, as I'm speaking, as I'm sharing that, you, you, would, actually, you would speak, God. That you would speak uh, to every single person here this morning, God. That um, your heart would be revealed. That uh, your your plan for their life, your purpose would uh, would be unlocked right now in this moment. Amen. So in in this narrative, we've got four like kind of key players floating around. So we've got David, who is the servant, and. Um, 
at this point in time, um, scholars believe he's probably around 10 to 12 years old. So he's, he's like actually not that old. We've got David. We've got Jesse, who is David's father. And he, he, he's actually the leader of the Sanhedrin for, um, for Bethlehem. And so he is in charge of keeping the Torah, which, are, um, the, which is where the law is, the other books of Moses. So he's, in, he's, in char- he's, he's a part of a council that's in charge of keeping the law, making sure that the town's like following that so that like, you know, you know, the Bible says back in the Old Testament that like the rain only, uh, would only rain on the righteous. And so he's kind of in charge of making sure that the town's righteous so it rains and they don't die. So like he's got a pretty big role. He's well known. We've got Samuel, who is the man of God. He's probably the most, the second most um, well-known person in the nation at this point because he, like, he's where you hear God's voice. Like he is the, he's the, he's the go-to guy. He, like, God will speak to him. He, he is essentially the voice of God in this situation. And we've got Saul, who is the king, who has been a naughty king, and um, is no longer allowed to be king, basically. And so we, we, we're, at, we're in this situation where Samuel has come to the house of Jesse looking for the next king. He's saying like, he's come there saying like, I'm looking for the person that God has anointed, the person that is prepared to be the next king. No, sorry. And so I, I imagine this would look like those, like on those old school movies where like the the royalty is coming to a town, and so the most nobleman in the town lines up his family beautifully like along the spiraling staircase, and so all the boys have got matching blue outfits, and their hair is all combed the same way, probably looks very similar to mine right now um, the, and they're like they're layered from height tallest to shortest and and so they 're all getting ready, and you know the the oldest one's starting to grow some facial hair, and so same so uh, jesse's quickly shaving his his dirty mustache off and and like he's just pro, like getting all his kids ready, making sure they'll look good, and 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 he just turns to Dave and he's like, "Hey, do you want to go um, look after the sheep?" And he's, Dave was like, "Why? Can I wear the blue shirt and have the cool hair like Mitch?" And and Jesse's like, "Nah, like I need you to go look after the sheep." And so so he goes off, and and Sam, in comes Samuel the prophet. He's he's looking, and he's got like we we know that he he's got like a good looking family. Even David, who was rejected, he was good looking. So like good looking family, and um so he comes in and he looks across all of these seven sons, and he's like, "Nah, none of them's the one. Where's the other? You must be hiding someone from me." And he instantly knows that there must be something going on, and this. This seems strange um, unless you read Psalm 51, written by David, and he writes this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And one of the things that's believed is that actually David was an illegitimate son. Yes, he looked good on the outside. Yes, he had everything together, but actually... Like, this is the guy that's supposed to be keeping the law, and his youngest son was born of a woman that wasn't his wife. And, and then we read on, David writes that his brothers would actually, he, he would be thirsty, and his brothers would give him vinegar to drink. And that he would be hungry, and they would give him gull. I don't know what gull is, but it sounds like an awful meat product. 
and so there's actually like David's start of life is like there's something going on that like you know he's born he's he, he's the shameful one of the family like his his dad's hiding him and then he grows up and he's picked on he's he's unloved he's he's teased he's he's no one looks out for him and, and scholars even believe that the reason he was in the fields is they were hoping that maybe one of the wild beasts would actually kill him we know that there were wild beasts out there cuz he he fought a bear he fought a lion he, he 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 there was he was put in a place of danger at the hope that maybe Maybe this problem will just go away. And the voice of God in this situation walks in and says to him, Arise, anoint him. This is the one. Arise, anoint him. This is the one. See, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you're born into, what you were, what you were like, what's been going on. It doesn't matter how much you've been picked on, how much your inside looks messed up, even though you look good on the outside. God is saying to you this morning, this is the one. You are the one. He is the one. She is the one. Come on, somebody. Let's give God some praise there. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's gone on before. God's still looking at you and saying, I've got hope, I've got a plan, I've got destiny, I've got future. This is the one. And I believe that this is so, so key, so crucial, because if, if, if you don't know that, the rest of my message is pointless to you this morning. If you don't know you're called, you have a purpose, you have destiny, the rest of the rest of the series is going to be pointless because that's the start. That's that. That's that point where where you have that moment where where you, where you have that exchange with God, where He comes in, and He says, "You know what? Like, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Like, my heart is toward you. you you've got a future. You've got destiny." And so later on. In the service, there's going to be an opportunity where you're going to have a moment where you, in worship, you can lift your hands and God is going to speak to you here this morning. As, as I remember, as a, as a young kid standing just about where Jared is sitting right now, I remember standing there lifting my hands as a 14-year-old and I heard God's voice speak those same things to me. This is the one. And so David has this incredible mountaintop moment, and he goes back to the sheep. I remember um, when I got my first car, it was gangster. Um, it actually wasn't. It was real lame, but we called it the Holy Roller. Um, and it was an incredible story. It was actually, um, I, I, I had been, I started saving. God told me to give all the money away, and then I got given a cut that night. So that was, that was a cool, that was the first time God, like, really blessed me financially. I guess before then, I didn't really know what, what a financial blessing was needed for, because I lived at home. <laughs> but, um... I still lived at home at this point, but I needed a car. And so this car, this, this car was awesome because it did one thing that I really essentially needed. It got me like to jazz school every day. It took me to where I, where I was going because I, like I had this calling into the music industry. I knew that I was um, supposed to be there. And this car was, it would take me there um, every day. And about six months into jazz school, I'm driving, um, you know, kind of about two minutes away, and I just, I hear this slightly funny sound, 
and then see steam starting to rise from the bonnet of the holy roller. It was like the glory of the Lord, the cloud of glory was falling upon. And so I, I, get, I pull up to jazz school and instantly jump on the phone. I'm like, Sam, bro, my car's steaming up. What's going on? He's like, oh, it's probably something to do with the radiator. I think you, probably the best bet for right now, go buy some cool, um, some coolant. Is that what it's called? Yeah, coolant. <laughs> I'm not a car person. <laughs> fill up some water, like fill, like fill up the radiator. He kind of like, he had to talk me a lot through how to do this. I'm like, I'm, this is not my field of expertise. Um, and so like he kind of talked me through it, filled it up drove home and that was fine in two weeks time every single time I would drive to jazz school halfway through Marshlands Road I'd start getting steam rising from, from from my car and so I got into the habit I had like 10 bottles like of two of water in the back seat I'd have like coolant or whatever that stuff is um, I'd have that all sitting there ready to go and so I knew that I could get from home to jazz school even though the car was steaming, I could still make it and I'd be fine. The thing was, is eight, like eight o'clock, sitting on Marshlands Road, this was my every day. Drive along, someone drives past me, looks at me like, bro, do you know your car's steaming? I'm like, yeah, I know my car's steaming. Drive, next person drives past me, bro, do you know your car's steaming? Yeah, I know my car's steaming. Next person drives past me, gives me a look, bro, do you know your car's steaming? I'm like, yes. Road rage is about a, it's, I'm not actually an angry driver, just in that moment, maybe. And that was my existence. I would drive, I, like I would fill, I'd wake up, I would fill up my car with water, not petrol, water, and I'd drive to jazz school. I didn't have money for petrol, guys, come on. I'd drive to jazz school, I would, I would fill up the radiator again, I'd, I'd sit there and wait, Till the radiator had cooled down, I filled it up again with water and stuff, and then I'd I'd come back and it would have most of it would have leaked out, so I'd fill it up again and then drive home and it would steam up every single way. And the thing is, is if I didn't serve the car, it wouldn't have got me where I was going. If I didn't do that every day, like if I hadn't done that for one day, that car would have like it would have crashed and burned, and it would have I would have had to hitchhike to school or something, which is hard to do with a bunch of music gear. Eventually, I sold it. I got rid of that car because, you know, I moved on to bigger and better things. Glory to glory. But actually, like, that car got me where I needed to go because I, I, I was serving it. Because, because I would get in there every morning. I'd fill it back up. Um, and when I pulled up, I'd wait for it to cool down, which is a painful experience. And then I'd fill it back up again. I, I intentionally served that car and it got me where I needed to go. And we see David in this process. He gets called. He has this moment where he gets a brand new car which his car looks more like an anointing. And, and, and he actually has to serve that thing. He has to get in and do some of the work to get it to take him where it's called him to. And we see two really key ways that, that, that David uh, serves, um, like two different forms of serving that, and, and two different things that he learns through that. And so the first one 
is he goes back. He, he has the mountaintop moment, and then he goes back to the sheep. He goes back to a place of, um, I think there's, there's a couple of things going on here. One, just because you've had that mountaintop moment doesn't mean that, uh, that your life's changed instantly, and that's okay. Like, I remember so many times having experience with God where he would say something and then I'd, like, go home and, like, go to sleep and wake up, go to school the next day and I'll be like, man, did God really say that to me? Like, I, f- I feel like if he had said that, something would be different. But it's okay because David went back to the sheep. And so he went back to the sheep and this is why, because you've got to learn how to shepherd sheep before you can shepherd people. In that process of serving, you will always be taught the skills that, 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 that you'll need at the other end. See, you look at, the, at Elijah and Elisha, and, and Elijah would walk, and, and Elisha was following him, learning the skills, learning. You know, he, he ate when, he, he, when Elijah ate. He slept when Elijah slept. He didn't want to miss a thing. He followed him closely. We have the same thing with the disciples who, who would uh, follow Jesus watch what he did, they would serve him so that when he left, they could actually accurately run the church, that they could, they could go out and do what he had called them to. And so we see David goes back to the sheep, and he probably didn't know what he was doing at that point, but he was out there learning to shepherd sheep so that one day he could shepherd people. And then from that place, he gets called into the king's court. And this is always that, that exciting part where, like, maybe, you know, you feel called to a specific area and then that you kind of have this door opens and you step inside being like, yes, this is going to be my moment. I'm going to walk in there and the king's going to be like, hey, do you know what? I reckon you'd do my job better than I would. So let's do a switcheroo. I'll, like, I'll go play the lair. You can have my job. Sweet. Like, that, nev- that doesn't happen. Like, it, here's David sent into the king's court to serve the king that he's supposed to replace. He is playing music to calm him. And we know that, like, this isn't a nine-to-five job because it says here, whenever the king, whenever the spirit from God came upon the king. So, so this wasn't like he just had to be there 40 hours a week and then he could go home and do his own thing. Like, he was there waiting for, for, for that moment. He was constantly there looking after the king. And so serving will train you, it equips you, it builds you up, but it also humbles you. And I remember um, praying for a lady um, after, after church one, one Sunday morning, and she was in this position where um, she, was, she was about, she was, it looked like she might move into um, a realm where she would actually be in charge of um, quite a bit of money. And um, God spoke to me really clearly and said, I'm teaching her in this season to treat a dollar like a million dollars so that one day she'll treat a million dollars like a dollar. And, and I, I really think that that's what God uh, what it does in those seasons is he teaches you how to serve the anointing so that when you carry it, you still serve the anointing. The anointing doesn't serve you. That when, 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 you care, when you have that title, the title, you're still serving the title, the title's not serving you. That when you, when you have that position, when you have that, that job, when you have that financial breakthrough, when you have whatever it is that God has said, when, when, when you've got that, 
It's not, it's not serving you. It's not about your benefic- like you benefiting from it, but it's about you going and saying, like, still, even though I, I am the king now, I'm going to treat it like I'm still the servant serving the king. Can I get the, the worship team up? The thing with um, being in that position, the thing with um, serving in the king's court is you've got you've to stay sweet. That's, that's the real key around that thing. You've got you've to stay sweet. You've got to stay humble. And that's the, like, that's the hardest thing to do because I bet there are many times when David is in the king's court, when he is with um, with Saul, and he, he sees him do something, and he says, you know what? If I was the king, I would do that better. If I was the pastor of this church, I would do that better. I'd do that different. If I was that, if I was my boss, I would do that better. If I was that person, man, like I would, I would do that way different they don't even know what they're doing. And it starts this, this slippery slope into walking away from everything. And so th- there's a couple of people that, um, that I really feel like God wants to, wants to touch this morning. One is people that have, that need that encounter, that need that moment where God speaks and says, this is the one. You, this is where I'm calling you. This is, this is what it looks like. He might not give you an entire picture. In fact, I would be very surprised if he gave you an entire picture. But he, I, like, I feel like in this moment, if that is you this morning, God is going to speak so clearly to you. And the second group of people are the ones that just need a bit more sweetness. Maybe you've... Maybe either you're in a situation where you're following someone, you're serving someone, and man, they just you, you just get bitter every time they're in the room. Or maybe you're in a situation where, where it looks like you're about to move into that kind of place. It looks like you're about to move into a place of serving. You're about to step up into something and serve somebody. And I believe in this moment, God wants to give you the skills, the and the tools to be able to actually stay sweet in that situation, to stay um, on the track, to stay um, to stay humble, because this is not about this 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 isn't about this church. This isn't about whatever. This is about your destiny. This is about you becoming that smooth stone that is ready in the hand of God to be thrown at that giant and change the world. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning and I'd love to pray for you. And then we're just going to, we're going to go into a time of singing. And if, if you're any of those people here this morning, you would like God to do anything in your life. Uh, right where you are in your seat this morning, I believe God is going to touch you. So, but I, I, do, I do ask you that you do one thing, that you'd lift your hands to Him, that you would get ready in a receiving position to say, God... Like, would, would you do this? Would you, would you fill me? Would you, would you tell me what you've called me to? Would you, would you open up? Would you bring sweetness this morning? Awesome. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your love and for, 
God, I just thank you that your heart is towards us. Holy Spirit, that you that you have you have good plans for every single person. And right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're dropping those plans into people's hearts right now, Jesus. And God, I thank you for sweetness in this place, God. I thank you that people will come into this building and say, man, this is the church that, that, that has got the sweet people in it. This is the church that, that tastes like honey when we walk in the room. God, and we break the power of bitterness. We break the power of disappointment right now in Jesus' name. So if you, if you would like God to touch you this morning, if you're, like, if you're desperate in need, whatever it is, why don't you lift your hands as we sing this?